Welcome to the Scientific American Podcast Science Talk, posted on August 6th, 2012. I'm Steve Mursky. At 10.39 p.m. Pacific Time last night, August 5th, the Curiosity rover landed on Mars. It successfully navigated the so-called seven minutes of terror of the descent and safely delivered the vehicle and its Mars Science Laboratory mission to the surface. At about 11.20 p.m., some of the principal players involved in the mission held a press conference at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. This is an edited presentation of that press briefing. The first voice you hear is Charles Alachi, director of the JPL. Well, tonight was, was a great drama that was played. I felt like an adventure movie, but in reality, I kept telling myself, this is real. This is real, what's happening, and what a fantastic demonstration of what our nation and our agency, you know, can do. Uh, I could only think of the words of Teddy Roosevelt as I was sitting there. It is far better to dare mighty things even though we might fail than to stay in a twilight that knows neither victory nor defeat. And the team brought us victory, you know, today. I can also only think about the Olympians. Here we had our team, which went to the Olympics. We were not sure we were going to win, but this team came back with the gold. So thank you, guys. We are so proud of you. And, and just think what an inspiration to the young people in the world by watching what these young people and old people like me have accomplished, it's really inspiring. I just was talking to my daughter and she was crying, you know, about it, how exciting this is, how inspirational. So we hope that the tens of millions of people who have been sharing this adventure with us will be the people who will be carrying the torch, you know, and continuing our exploration of the solar system. And what a bargain that we got this mission for. This movie costed you less than seven bucks per American citizen. And look at the excitement that we have brought and the inspiration that we have brought. And tonight, we just did the landing. Tomorrow, we're going to start exploring Mars. And next week, and next month, and next year, we'll be bringing new, new discovery every day, every week to all of you. And we are going to continue not only exploring Mars, but exploring the solar system and exploring the universe, because our curiosity has no limit. Thank you all, and I'm going to introduce John Gransfeld, who is the head of space science at NASA. You know, we said before uh, landing this afternoon, Charles and I here, that, that Mars is hard and success is not guaranteed. Uh, there are many out in the community who say that NASA has lost its way, that we don't know how to explore, that we've lost our moxie. I want you to look around tonight, all those folks with the blue shirts, think about what we've achieved. I think it's fair to say that NASA knows how to explore. We've been exploring and we're on Mars. The last eight months, and certainly for the seven minutes of terror, has started to weave you know, an unbelievable story. Um, as we get ready to transition to surface ops, I think what we really need to pay attention to now is that the Curiosity story is just beginning. And with that, I'll turn it over to the team. Pete? That's a guy in charge of this project. 
This is Pete Theisinger. I think you can tell that the team is ecstatic at tonight's results. Um, this is an, an incredible feeling for, uh, for me personally, um, not only to be associated with such a tremendous event, but to um, have the privilege uh, to be able to, to be uh, asked to lead such an incredible team of people. I mean, uh, as easy as it looked tonight, and it wasn't, but as easy as it looked tonight is because of the people in the blue shirts are standing around you and because of thousands of others around this country, around the world, who worked on this for for seven, eight years to cause this to come to being. I mean, they've done an incredible job. It, it is, there's, words cannot state the kind of job that they've done. Um, eight years ago, I sat on this stage and talked to some of you uh, after the landing of Spirit and then three weeks later after the landing of Opportunity. And I never thought I would ever say this, but this is better than that. <laughs> and I especially want to recognize the gentleman who's sitting to my left, and that's Richard Cook. Um, he has put blood, sweat, and tears into this project. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but uh, but believe me, uh, we would not have been successful without him tonight. And when you look at his record, uh, Pathfinder, Tumors, and this one, unparalleled in, in the country today. I mean, just unparalleled. So I'll now let him humbly accept your accolades. So that rocked. Seriously, was that not cool or what? I have been lucky enough to have done this now four times, and it never gets old. Seriously, it's just a great experience. And there are some people out there, Rob Manning and Dara Sabai and some of the other folks who have done this as many times, and I know they all just had the exact same experience as I did tonight, which just gets better every time. It just is amazing. Pathfinder was great, uh, but we were young and stupid, frankly. And, uh, and now to have an appreciation for how hard it is and how much effort it takes from, a, a, as Pete said, a team of hundreds of, and thousands of people around the world is, uh, it's, it's just it's inspiring and it's a little bit uh, uh, overwhelming at times how much effort has been required and, and how much everybody deserves this great success we've had. I can't let uh, Pete compliment me without returning it. And, you know, there is the guy who's been in charge of three of these things. Um, there's pretty much, I think nobody else in the world has that record to be the project manager for three Mars landings. Um, and so I think that he's going to have that, uh, no matter what he does from now on, he's going to know that he's the only guy in the world that's ever done that. So good job. Cook introduces Adam Steltzner, who was in charge of actually landing the rover on Mars. Uh, Dr. Stelsner is is been the 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 father and the mother and everything in between of of the landing system we've we've built and uh, and certainly has been its biggest uh, proponent. I remember the re going to reviews and and him saying, "Hey, I think this thing can work," and you guys just have to give the team a chance. Seven eight years ago, and uh, and then just stuck with it through every. Uh, failed test through every uh, <laughs> review that didn't quite work out the way we wanted it. 
Uh, and so he is, uh, really deserves a humong- huge amount of credit for what, uh, for what's happened tonight. And, uh, hopefully everybody, uh, appreciates his, his contributions. I know I certainly do. So. Say something profound. <laughs> I am terribly humbled by this experience. I forever, secretly, have felt that I do not deserve to be in the position of leading the team that I lead because they are certainly in some and largely by count of individual more capable than I. That great things take many people working together to make them happen is one of the fantastic things of human existence. And in my life, I am and will be forever satisfied if this is the greatest thing that I have ever given. There is a new picture of a new place on Mars. And for me, at least, that's the big payoff. And to work as part of such a talented group of people, shepherded by Pete and Richard. And I'm not just talking about the EDL team, I'm talking about the entire team, soup to nuts. The caliber of people here at JPL, the other centers who contribute, it's a tremendous honor and it is a humbling experience to work with them. And I, I think that this nation is a truly great representation of a, of a corner or a piece of humanity that reaches out and explores and conquers and engineers. We are kind of tool makers, uh, agriculturalists, pioneers, and, and that's reflected in the activities and actions and results of tonight. <laughs> A couple of other groups of folks that I'd like to thank that I think we all are thankful for. Uh, certainly this beautiful theater of tonight, the drama of us all being able to experience it together comes through the efforts of the Odyssey project and the Odyssey spacecraft and that team being able to dip that bent pipe UHF telemetry to us, unrivaled in the experience for all of us. And naturally, the DSN and the, uh, and the X-band telemetry that really allowed us to back that up. Um, so please, a round of applause for our... John Grotzinger, Chief Scientist of the Mars Science Laboratory Mission. Thank you, Adam, for getting us on the, on the surface. I think that is the best picture of Mars I've ever seen. <laughs> and I can guarantee you in the days, uh, hours, and months, and years from now, you're going to be hearing about an incredible science story, and I'm not going to bore you with that tonight. You're going to have to wait for that one because on behalf of everybody on the science team, 406 team members, we thank everybody that was involved in this enterprise, Charles, Pete, Richard, Adam, everybody that pulled this together. 
There were over 3,500 JPL employees. I won't count contractors and subcontractors, but I'm sure there were thousands more. Ten science instruments, nine principal investigators, seven countries, Germany, France, Spain, Russia, Denmark, Britain, Canada. All of us are the beneficiaries of your hard work. We've hardly even scratched the surface. And I just want to leave you with one thought about what this success brings to everybody that is involved in this enterprise. There is no greater inspiration for middle school children that are going to math, science, and engineering than a mission to Mars. The number of hits on the website is unparalleled. The emphasis on the excitement that this generates is what we bestow upon our children. The money, $2.5 billion, we don't put it in the rover and send it to Mars. We spend it here on Earth. And Charles mentioned at the beginning that this whole enterprise, if you divide it by every woman, child, man in this country, comes out to be the cost of the movie. I know I speak on behalf of all my colleagues in science. That's a movie I want to see. So thank you all. Okay, we're going to open it up to questions now from the news media. And um, it, let me wait for a microphone to come over to you and uh, go ahead and give us your name and affiliation right there in the middle of the row. Go ahead, Craig. Hi, Craig. With America Space. Um, Adam, uh, tell us about the landing. <clears throat> <laughs> All right, Craig. Um, I can't tell you too much about it. I mean, it looks good. Uh, I'm being a little flip. Uh, in short, it looked extremely clean. We, had, we touched down in conditions that were um, on the more benign side of our nominal expectation. Our, um, by, by the way, I want to preface everything. This is preliminary data scooped with the sieve in the cacophony of the control, control room during the celebration. Very nominal. A remarkably good. Uh, um, our navigation error was, uh, was on the low side of our expectation, which meant that we probably had a good alignment between the celestial center sensors and the inertial, uh, inertial sensors, the IMU. Um, our powered flight appears to have been excellent. If my good friend Ben Toma is in the house, is Ben in the house? We landed with um, 140 kilograms of fuel reserves out of a total of 400 kilos that we carried in. And we're going to Ben worked quite diligently in stretching the tanks at my insistence because I was worried we wouldn't have enough fuel. And so I think I owe Ben a little bit of an apology there. <laughs> so uh, it looked good, in short. Good and clean. And, and it looks, at least by my eyeball, that we uh, landed in a nice, flat spot. Beautiful. <laughs> really Beautiful. Hi, Sally Rail with Planetary Society, and um, this is for Adam. Are you going to call your daughter Curiosity? <laughs> <laughs> it is true that I think that Curiosity is perhaps the central defining human attribute. I really do. 
And I was, Richard and I were both part of a group of people who were, select, were in the process of helping winnow, winnow down the names of the, of the, the school kids had taken. And there was, I don't know, a couple hundred that we looked at. And curiosity was one of them. And I was smitten from the moment I saw that. And I'm so happy that the rover is curiosity. My daughter's name will not be curiosity. <laughs> uh, Leo Enright from Irish Television. Uh, the, the unmanned spaceflight uh, website has uh, uh, coordinates for the landing that go down to something like five decimal points. Um, I just wanted to confirm with you that, that, those, those, that you do have them have those sort of coordinates. And am I reading those coordinates correctly when I see that it looks as though you've landed within 500 meters of the uh, skirt around the mountain? That, I mean, you're really very close to the mountain at the closer end in the landing ellipse and possibly within striking distance of the phyllosilicate trench. I, can, I can't confirm that. Um, my estimate I'm looking for somebody. Yes, there's somebody in the audience here who has that in the tip of their noggin. Um, we should have soon that estimate, uh, but I, I don't have it to five decimal places. Uh, we wouldn't report it to that because we don't. We're certain that we don't know it to that, um, and I don't know what the space unmannedspaceflight.com uh, estimate is. Yeah, there's a team of people that are working on localization, including what information we got uh, on the way down. You know, the nav, uh, nav filter, probably taking a picture at where, <laughs> looking at the picture, uh, and trying to figure out from there where we are. I would imagine by tomorrow, tomorrow's press conferences, they should have a better idea where where it came down within a few hundred meters at least, hopefully. Um, I'm Chief Fan from TVBS Taiwan. We also have a live event in Taiwan. This is actually a question from our audience, which is, uh, I think she's like around 10 years old girl, <laughs> and she wants to know if it is possible, if there is any opportunity that JPL would consider to open up the opportunity for students to operate Curiosity <laughs> in Mars. And then especially students from overseas. I want you to know, I want you to know if the answer is yes, I want to say my name right now. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you in all honesty, first we have to let them wait for the scientists to operate it, so. Henry Bortman with Astrobiology Magazine. Can you tell us uh, at what time Curiosity touched down Earth received time? And at what time the first image came back? I can tell you the first of those is 10.39 p.m. The second of those I don't have. Um, Ron, the rector from Scholastic. Um, <laughs> um, both Charles and uh, John said that this is very much of an inspiration to young people. Can you tell me what inspired you when you were growing up? What, did, what made you decide to join NASA and do all of this amazing work? Let me start. Uh, I was inspired by the first astronauts, the Gemini program, the Apollo program, and specifically here we are uh, still in the heart of summer, and I remember being brought into the mess hall at summer camp uh, to look at a small black and white TV along with a couple hundred other boys. It was a boys' camp in central Wisconsin to see Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin land on the moon. And that stuck with me and inspired me uh, to go on to become a physicist, a scientist, to study math and science throughout school, uh, eventually uh, to apply to the astronaut corps to go to space. Uh, and I hope 
Uh, and it, it was a dream of mine for this evening, and I think we've achieved that, uh, that for kids today, uh, actually for everyone today, that this landing of curiosity on the surface of Mars will be an inspiration uh, that will lead people to think about the great science that's ahead of us uh, and to go on to do great things. I mean, I think the thing, uh, so the the kinds of, I didn't have a, a specific activity or thing, uh, like John said, that inspired me, but so much as being able to do problem solving, right? And and the, the thing that we do here, and NASA does and JPL does, is we solve problems. And we solve problems that involve, uh, you know, obviously very state-of-the-art activities, but also things that require large teams of people working together in a really intimate way that is really different, I think, than almost any other human endeavor. It's amazing to solve a problem as complicated as landing on the surface of Mars, where you're utterly dependent on, you know, a team of 100 or 200 or 1,000 other people to do their parts and to do it to solve their problems and have all those problems work together. And it's just the scale of that endeavor, that problem solving that is what got me attracted to working for, for NASA and for JPL. And, and uh, I think that's, if I were to talk to, to my kids or to kids, you know, the, to go in this, this field, that's the kind of thing that NASA and JPL does. Um, and, and it's really, if you're interested in that sort of problem or in that sort of uh, activity, this is the place to come and do it. Burkhard Bilgo, the, the New Yorker. Um, I may be imagining this, but the one time during the landing the, the temperature seemed to drop in the room was when Adam asked for OD-278, and they said, no, we only have 277. What was happening, or was it anything of significance? Mm, no. <laughs> we are, um, as we're coming in, the navigators are continuing to make OD's orbital determination, where the spacecraft is, and updating, and they all have numbers, an estimate, an estimate, an estimate. And, and they get better, as, as Mars grabs us and the, and the pull of Mars um, uh, reduce some of the in- inherent uncertainty in that estimate. While that's going on, while EDL is happening, in the EDL war room in a different building, you were seeing it on some of the cameras, um, the flight dynamics team is running simulations to the ground with our simulation tool um, based on those updated ODs. And so I had seen that ODA 228 come up, and I was asking if they had that because I had had it, and they hadn't. They didn't have it over there yet, and they hadn't started. The, that was what that was about. Uh, Ian Thompson from the Register. Um, question for John Grotzinger. Um, you now get the keys to this, and you can um, sort of get it moving along. What's the first stages that you'll go through in terms of in terms of getting Curiosity out there, and potentially how long could it survive on Mars beyond the two-year span? Um, I'll take a swipe at the first one. Uh, you know, we just want to get going first and, and check out all of the engineering <clears throat> systems and the science instruments. And this is a very, very, very complex spacecraft compared to what we've done before. And, and so because of that, we'll go through this long checkout period called the commissioning activity period. And, uh, <clears throat> and Pete and Richard will be watching this very carefully and we're going to make sure that we're firing on all cylinders before we blaze out across the, the planes there. But nested within those uh, initial um, tests are going to be science observations. And, and so we have a plan uh, to begin working through those as we test out the instruments. And in the next few days, 
Uh, you guys will be able to see uh, some of the images. You'll see the results of the instrument health and aliveness checks and how we do. But the best way to think about this mission is on the order of days, weeks, months, and, and years. And, and we can loosely bound things. I think we expect to spend a couple of weeks checking things out <clears throat> and then maybe taking the first drive a short distance to some place where we'll go through the second phase of commissioning. And then in a matter of months, we, we hope to have used all of the instruments, and including the SAM and the Kemen instruments, and done some scooping and drilling. And, you know, possibly within a year or so, we, we could be at the base of Mount Sharp because the place we landed on looks pretty darn interesting, and we just don't want to rush out of there without having studied it real well. So uh, it's the mission's about patience and, and, and checking things out carefully. John and I have a bet as to whether or not we'll, how long it will take us to get to Mount Sharp because my version of the surface mission is that it's like going on a family vacation and driving from here to Chicago. And except for your family, has got 400 scientists who want to stop and look at every, <laughs> every fossilized whatever they can find. And, uh, and so, so he says it's not going to take that long, and I, I don't believe him. I so. Richard's going to win. Yeah. <laughs> John's going to search for the biggest ball of twine in Gale. <laughs> um, in, in terms of the second part of your question, there is no inherent consumables on the spacecraft. We don't have gas or something we run out of uh, inherently. Um, we test the, the, the life-limiting characteristics tend to be the mechanisms, the motors, and those things. They tend to be outside in the cold, so they suffer the greatest uh, thermal uh, highs and lows. And we test those for three times life, and, and we don't test them to failure. So... The nominal mission for this is two years, but I think uh, if it lasts twice that, I don't think anyone would be shocked. Um, and that's the first time anyone's ever gotten me to say anything more than two years. <laughs> so I think it. I think you know, uh, John's right. We've got um, uh, we've got a long mission ahead of us, and and because of that and the capabilities of this rover, we have this possibility for just monumental science accomplishments and the target we've gone to. I mean this. Mount Sharp is just, you know, this whole this whole story of Mars, and, and, and we just can explore and explore and explore across that. The other side of that is, as I've said to the team, and, and I'll repeat it to, to the press here, is that we're in no hurry. Okay. We have now have, as I said to the team, on 1032 tonight, we would have a priceless asset, a priceless national asset. Okay. And we are not going to pardon the French screw it up. Okay, and therefore we will take our time to understand its condition and understand if there's anything that happened during landing that we haven't uncovered yet. We will take our time to make sure that we understand how to operate it in this new and challenging environment. And then we will, with slow, deliberate, methodical pace, we'll begin the science explorations that the science team wants to take. So, um, so be patient with us, please, because we will be patient with, uh, with curiosity. Just realize that this is the second rover we have operating on the surface of Mars at the same time. That's pretty yeah. spectacular to have, to have opportunity still there eight years later and Curiosity both doing its thing. Continuous roving, continuous roving presence on the surface of Mars for in excess of eight years now. That's right.